Good morning and welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. I am so glad that you are here with me today. Well, in this video, we are gonna be looking at unity, but not a unity that's so fickle as unity between two human beings, but a unity between us and God. word that's kind of been the rallying cry of the church lately. I've already used it, so maybe you already know what it is. But it's this word that has been um, the call of our hearts in response to what we're seeing in society right now. That word is unity. We've been praying for unity. We've been looking for ways to um, champion honoring one another regardless of your decisions, <laughs> which side of the spectrum you find yourself on, because that's when unity thrives. And we've been praying that in this time of division, in this time of what's happening in our world, that the church would thrive as we seek to be unified together on the main things of who Jesus is and what we're called to, unity. It's a hot word right now. But as we come to this series of verses in John 14, it can seem kind of like a quick succession of seemingly unrelated thoughts. Like Jesus is kind of bullet pointing a few things for us. And we see this different side of unity. The unity that we're asked to live out isn't a unity that's as fragile as unity between two human beings. That's a fragile thing. It's deeper than that. The unity that we're called to in this passage in John 14, this deep unity, is one between God and man. And we know, that's why unity between two individuals is a fickle thing. We know that we are fickle. We have our whims. We kind of go with the wind based on how we feel, and that can make unity really hard. And so I'm so thankful that this unity between God and man, this relationship between us isn't wholly dependent on us with our whims and our like wisp ways, it is dependent on the faithfulness of an unchanging God. And so as we dive deeper into these verses this morning in John 14, we're going to see this thread that winds through all of them to pull together these seemingly bullet point statements. And we're going to see the tangible heartbeat of each one played out as Jesus talks about this unity that he has with the Father God and how we can emulate the same. And the best part of all is that each of us, as we seek to stay in unity with the heartbeat of God and the purposes of God, as we allow that to dictate our words and our actions and our prayers, as we allow God as we spend time with him to rub off, to form the order of our priorities, to purify us into looking more and more like him each day, the natural outcome of that is that we will be people who are more unified with each other. 
because we're going to be people who act like Jesus acted, who esteem one another, who honor one another, who love and serve one another. And all those things naturally bring unity into interhuman relationships. So turn with me to John 14, um, 8 to 14. John 14, 8 to 14. And if you do not have a Bible, we would love to help you get one. We believe that engaging in biblical truth will change your life. And so head on over to myevangel.church forward slash Bible, myevangel.church forward slash Bible. And you can download a great uh, digital Bible there, the YouVersion Bible app. And if you're in the Powell River area, just fill out a little form and we would love to gift you with a paper Bible. So John 14, eight to 14, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. So let's pray and then let's dive in. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that Jesus came and revealed the Godhead to us, that we could have a tangible example of what it looks like to walk in unity of relationship with God. And so as we dive into these verses today, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict us, that you would draw us closer to you in those places where we've allowed there to be a gap in relationship between God and man. Would you bring that gap closed? That we would be step in step with you and that our works and our words would also reveal the heart of the Father as Jesus, your works and your words did. We love you in your precious name. Amen. Well, the foundation of this unity, this example that we have been called to aspire towards is the unity between Jesus and Father God. We see this in John uh, 14, 9 to 11. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't be, you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe the evidence of the works themselves. So let me pause for a quick moment because we need to bring a little bit of clarity here. If we aren't careful, we can get our theology of God twisted a little bit to believe that Jesus came on the scene in Bethlehem, that he um, was just born and, and a great man, maybe even a divine man, if you wanna go that far, appeared then 
in Bethlehem, that somehow maybe he is an offshoot of God. Um, and we have to just be careful that we, <laughs> we understand the fullness of the theology around Jesus and the Godhead, the Trinity, the three in one. Because Jesus did appear as a man in Bethlehem, that is true. But Jesus as part of the Godhead has always been. And that's why we have this beautiful reminder at the very beginning of John that God in the entirety always was. Nothing really changed when Jesus came and walked on this earth as a man. John 1 tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made, and in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is God, and as such, he always has been. He was part of creation. He just has always been. There is a unity in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, three in one. And that is such a complicated thing for us to wrap our heads around. But it's important that we recognize that that has always been and that always will be the way that the Godhead is in perfect unity together. That Jesus isn't some offshoot of it. And that's why there's such danger in this um, belief right now that we should discount or maybe minimize the study of the Old Testament. That's not really worth studying because the reality is that the New Testament isn't just some like new revelation. God is the same. God always was. God has never changed. We simply see God in the flesh in Jesus. But Jesus has always been. He was present in the Old Testament just as he's present in the New and so this unity between God the Father and God the Son isn't anything new. This unity between the Father and the Son has always been. It's been throughout the time as we know it. It was like before creation. And it will endure long after this world fades away. Matthew Henry writes, in the light of Christ's doctrine, they saw God as the father of lights, and in Christ's miracles, they saw God as the God of power. The holiness of God shone in the spotless purity of Christ's life. We are to believe the revelation of God to man in Christ, for the works of the Redeemer show forth his own glory and God in him. As the disciples are sitting in the midst of the questions that they have, and they're kind of bombarding Jesus with them, and Thomas asks what we so often pray, God, show us your glory, reveal yourself to us. And so Jesus takes this moment to remind them, you have seen it. I've been revealing to you who God is this whole time, in every teaching, in every breath, in every work of my hands. You've been seeing God himself. Jesus and the Father are one. They're perfect in unity. And the Holy Spirit, which Jesus is going to tell us about next week, is in the verses going just past this. All three are this beautiful, perfect unity. The words and the works of the one reveal the heartbeat of the whole. 
And this unity between Jesus and God as a whole is our example and it's our foundation. See, if Jesus were not part of the Godhead, if his divinity was circumstantial, if he was just an offshoot um, of, of God, or maybe just a man that God chose to be a martyr for us, then he would not be the atoning sacrifice that could take away the sins of the world. He wouldn't be one that would allow us to have access for now and forevermore to a perfect and holy God. In short, if this statement is not true, nothing else is. If Jesus is not God, then the rest of his teaching is not worth listening to. Nothing is good about him because it'd be full of fabrication and lies. It'd be full of deceit. And so this has to become our foundation, this unity between God and man. And it also becomes the example that we get to esteem towards, that we get to live up to, that we would be through our lives, through our words and works in unity with the heartbeat of God. And thankfully, as Jesus says, you know what, trust me, believe that this is truth. My words and my works prove this. Thankfully, his words and his works do provide the evidence that validate the claim that Jesus and God are one. And the unity of God becomes our example and our foundation as we walk out what it looks like to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And it allows us to live in such a way that our works and our words provide the evidence that Jesus can make a difference in a life. And this foundation is critical as we look forward to these next two statements of Jesus, these like kind of bullet point ones, that this thread of unity with the heart of God tie together. And it's so foundational for us. It's so crucial because if we take those two statements out of the context of having this unity with God, if we take them out of the context of the humility of the character of Christ in which he lived as our example of how to live, then we can create some very problematic and incorrect theologies around single statements. So let's dive into the first one. In verse 12, it tells us, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. This is an exciting promise. We're invited to partner with God in what he's doing in the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. And just a couple verses down, we're going to see this promise of the Holy Spirit as Jesus is preparing his disciples that he's going to go away so that the Spirit of God can come here. Jesus is setting us up for this revelation that's going to follow and that we're going to jump into. But here's the catch. If we pull this verse out of the context in which it's like kind of sandwiched in John 14 here, if we pull one thing off the shelf without looking at the rest of it, at the remainder of scripture, then we can very, 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 very quickly interpret this to be some sort of signs and wonders promise. And it can give us the impression that we're supposed to be chasing after the miraculous. 
Now, can signs and wonders happen through the power of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely they can. But it somehow um, gives us the impression, if we pull it out of context, that we can attain miracles that Jesus himself could not perform. That we would do greater things than God himself. And that's problematic theology. It's just plain not true. And so, lest we smart of arrogance, we need to filter this statement through the character of Christ and through the deeper thread that's pulling all of this together. There's this humility in how Jesus served, and we too need to be ones who fight off the temptation of pride to be some spiritual giants that are seeing all these miraculous things happen, who fall in humility, understanding that nothing that happens is by us. It's through the power of the Spirit. We need to, in humility, acknowledge that we cannot be greater than God. That's impossible. And the works of God himself aren't ones that we have any right to perform on our own. God himself can do that. So what is it that Jesus is telling us we can do that would be greater than what he has done? Well, Bruce Milne puts it in a wonderful, concise way. So here you go. As a matter of historical fact, the apostles were to perform nothing more spectacular in their ministries than Jesus had done in his. And so greater things obviously cannot mean more spectacular miracles. The greater works, therefore, are the works of the greater mission in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Greater works means more conversions. There is no greater work possible than the conversion of a soul. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, do miraculous things happen today? Absolutely. God still heals people. God still performs miracles. God still provides. He does all of that. Absolutely. But we need to fit the things that God can do, the, the miraculous, into the priorities that Jesus set forth for us. What was the most important thing for Jesus? It was to redeem and to save that which was lost, us humanity. The greatest miracle of all is salvation. The greatest miracle of all is that someone would recognize their need for a savior and would bow in surrender and give their life to Jesus as Lord. That is the greatest work. That is the greatest miracle. And so while Jesus was on this earth, he was limited in geography. <laughs> he was limited by the way that you could get around. You couldn't hop on an airplane. You couldn't put things out on the internet to be seen on other sides of the globe. You couldn't do any of that. He was constrained by his humanity. But when the Spirit of God came, all of a sudden, each one of us was given the ability to preach the good news with boldness to share the hope that we had found in Jesus. And we are able to be a part of the greatest miracle 
of seeing those that we know find Jesus. When we seek a life of unity with God, when we ask him to reorder our priorities, when we ask him to work on our hearts so that we delight in the things he delights in, that our hearts break for the things that break his heart, so that we're aligned with the purposes and the plans and the will of God, then we can walk in unity with God. And that allows us to know that the works that we are doing provide evidence that Jesus makes a difference in a life. We don't chase after the mountaintops in faithful obedience. We just follow the footsteps of our shepherd. And that brings us to this controversial theological statement number two. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. And once again, this is an incredible promise. We have to be careful not to take it out of context, to take this one statement off the shelf and leave everything else. This is another declaration that we have to filter through the lenses of humility and unity. Because if we take it at face value, we could be tempted to believe that God is giving us unlimited yes days. Has anybody watched that movie with their kids and had your kids decide that they would really love a yes day where your answer to every request is yes? The problem with that thinking is that it assumes that my understanding of what's needed in a given situation is best. It assumes that we have the wisdom and the knowledge of God to see all of the angles. At best, <laughs> the things that I'm asking of God are best for me. At worst, they set me up for consequences that I don't want and I can't see. And so once again, we have to put this statement, this promise into the context of who God is and what he's asked of us. We have to put this statement into the context of the teaching that we've already received up to this point of all of the things that Jesus has taught us. We have to put it into the context of the character of Jesus, the, the things that we know are true about God in the context of the Bible as a whole. And then we can come to the inferences of what the statement means in context of everything. Matthew Henry writes, whatever we ask in Christ's name that shall be for our good and suitable to our state, he shall give it to us. To ask in Christ's name is to plead his merit and intercession and to depend upon that plea. I think when we filter this promise through all of that, the context of what the rest of the Bible says, the context of the character of God, the context of what we witness in Jesus's own life drastically changes the meaning of the verse from a God who's a genie in a bottle who will give us every whim and desire as we ask it to him to when I walk in unity with the spirit of God, when I come before him with requests that glorify him, I can trust him. I can trust his answer and I can trust his timing. That in his wisdom, he knows what's best for my life. And when my 
ask aligns with that which he knows is going to be good for me, he will say yes. And in his wisdom, when my request does not, when my request has consequences that I can't see, when my request is going to veer me off course, then he'll say no. But it changes it from a foot stomping posture of do it my way, in my time, exactly as I ask, to a surrendered, God, here is what I need, but I trust you, so your will be done. It reveals back to us the spirit in which we pray, who is Lord and who is subject? Am I walking in unity with God or am I trying to assert myself as higher than him? Who will I trust to lead? In this passage in John 14, Jesus reveals the heart of the Father. The unity in which the Godhead operates and his desire that we would have all that we need in order to do what he's asked us to do here on this earth, which is to share the good news of Jesus. Jesus, God made flesh, reveals God to us. He reveals him in his words and in his works. Through him, we see how God responds. We hear how God speaks. We have a tangible example to follow. Jesus, our servant king, the one who was glorified by going to a cross and providing a restoration and a redemption that frankly, we just don't deserve. So he shows us how to walk in unity with God. He shows us how to surrender to the purposes of God. And he's our ultimate roadmap to a life of holiness a life of purity, a life of looking more and more like Jesus each day. So I want to ask you this morning, as you take stock, as you kind of reflect over the last little bit of your life, what do your words and your works reveal about your heart, about your relationship with God? Do they reveal a unity in relationship where you've been following as closely to God as, as you possibly can at this moment, but you would be getting closer and closer to following step by step? Or do they reveal gaps? As you think through the prayers that you pray, what does that reveal about your spirit? Who is Lord and who is subject? If I'm honest, I really like getting my own way. I think that my plans for my days are wonderful and if you left it up to me, I could probably come up with a solution for every problem. And I have very strong opinions when I pray about what I would like God to do. And so I have to recognize that my desire is one that wants to lead. When unity would call me to be the one who follows. What about you? Unity with God requires humility and it requires surrender. 
It requires a reflection of which path I'm following, his or mine. Am I asking God to do things in my name, with my ideas and in my own plan for my glory's sake? Or am I asking him to do it for his? To follow his way, his path, his plan? Am I allowing his priorities to become mine? Maybe that's a question you can't answer yet and you need to sit in the presence of God for a little bit and ask the, the Holy Spirit to reveal your own heart to you. Because as the Bible tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things. So our heart lies to us and we need the truth of God to penetrate even that. The unity of God between Jesus and the Godhead as a whole becomes our example and it is our foundation as we walk out this journey of what it looks like to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus, what it looks like to look more and more like Jesus each day. My prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that we would live in such a way that our works, our words, and our prayers would reveal a life that is changed by following Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that we can trust you. I thank you that you purify us. And so as we take time to reflect, as we take time to ponder, if we're walking in step with you, if we are prioritizing a unity with your spirit or if we're trying to lead the charge I thank you that we are never too far gone for you to rein us back in to reorder the priorities of our spirit and to teach us to follow in your ways so would you remind us that you are faithful, that you do know best, and that you want good things for your children. And in some cases, that means that you have to say no to protect us from what we can't see. And so even then, we say, may your will be done. We trust you. We love you. Help us to walk in unity with you. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining me, friends. We have a few announcements for you. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Lisa, for that message and sharing that with us today. Well, I just have a couple announcements for you. The first one is about membership. So if you've been part of Evangel for a minimum of three months and you're kind of wanting to uh, be a little bit of a decision maker as to some of the parts of Evangel uh, that happen here, we would love to invite you to learn more about membership. So we're actually having a membership class on Wednesday, February 23rd at 6.30 p.m. here at the church. And we would love to invite you again if you've been part of Evangel for a minimum of three months to kind of learn more about what that could mean uh, for you as we journey together in the mission that God has for each one of us. 
Uh, next is that Grow Track is happening February 27th at the end of our in-person service. And so if you're wanting to discover the way that God has designed you and find your fit both here in our church, but also kind of where you find yourself outside of this church in your spheres of influence, we are finishing off our track with 401. Uh, and that's a way that you can get involved, learning about some of the serving opportunities you have here at Evangel, being part of that mission. Um, if you haven't been to any other Grow Tracks but are wanting to join us, no worries. You can actually jump into Grow Track at any time and you're able to join us, uh, whatever module we have going on. So mark that in your calendars February 27th after our uh, Sunday morning in person service. And then finally, uh, we have an exciting opportunity. So I remember uh, fondly my, my, my moments at camp. Now, to be fair, uh, I didn't go to camp as a child, um, but I was able to volunteer at Nanus Bay Camp uh, a couple of years ago when I was interning at a church, and it was transformational even as an adult for my life. Well, I'm sure that you have heard somebody that's gone to camp or you yourself has gone to camp uh, and had maybe a similar experience. Well, we're actually part owners here at Evangel of Nanus Bay Camp. And so we're like stakeholders in that camp. And so we have an exciting opportunity to be part of revitalizing the camp. So we have two places that we are fundraising for. There is a basketball hoops that we need to replace. And if you've been to Nanus, you would know that that basketball court is used from like sun up to sundown. And the hoops are getting a little uh, broken down and run down. And so we would love to replace those. And then one of the dorms that house uh, a large number of either students or volunteers, the stairs have actually fallen apart. And so we're uh, also gonna be fundraising for that as well. Now, our goal is to fundraise $7,500 to complete these projects at Nanus. And so we would love to just ask you to consider prayerfully about partnering with this fundraiser. And guess what? You can actually give right now. Like there is no barrier to giving. If you go to myevangel.church forward slash give, uh, there's like a little icon in the bottom of the screen that will allow you to give online. And one of the line items there will be Nanus. Uh, fundraiser. So if you click that, you can give uh, whatever dollar amount you would like, but there are also some other ways to get involved as well. The first one is a work bee. So it is open to anybody. Uh, it's going to be happening either in April or May. Uh, once we know a date, we will give it to you. But this is an opportunity to come to camp, to work on some of the uh, things that have already been fundraised for by other churches, and to just get camp spruced up and ready for this summer as we join together in camp as well. And so if you have, it's like anybody from cleaning to making food to doing some uh, like construction work, we would love your help. And so if you would like to get involved in that, everybody is welcome. Uh, and you can talk to one of our pastoral staff that will help you out uh, with that. And then finally, uh, camp is happening again this summer. It's the first three weeks of July, and we're so excited to be able uh, to be a part of that, both volunteering and supporting our students that are going. And so if you wanna get involved in camp, anywhere from like cooking team to a camp counselor to activity staff, uh, all of the in-betweens, uh, if you talk to one of our pastoral staff, we would love to just talk with you about that application process. Uh, it is a closed application, and so we would require you to fill something out and have an interview, um, but we would love to get involved in all of those ways in camp. And then finally, if you want to partner with us with the everyday work that we do here at Evangel, uh, giving is an option and a way that you can do that. And so if you go to myevangel.church forward slash give, it will give you all the ways that you can do that 
whether or not that's online or in person uh, during the week. Well, thank you friends so much for joining us and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you.